Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25 and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy, Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out A Tad Predictable, hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Wow. 
What's good, boys and girls? Two for the podcast. Today is Thursday. It is the 18th of January. Hope you're all well. I know you come here for the weather updates. It is zero degrees. It feels like minus two. Uh, it is to rise to a lovely three degrees before descending into the minuses at about five o'clock, staying in the minuses overnight. But then tomorrow, it is meant to improve. And then Saturday, we can look forward to eight degrees and rainy, which is great. Next week, it's meant to stay decent, rainy, but decent temperatures. So that's good. That's good. I just don't like the cold. I'm old, you see. I'm very old now. It gets into my bones. And it causes my knee to click. It causes my hips to hurt, my back to ache. It's just not good. It's not a good situation. I'm very, very old. Right. We had FA Cup football last night. And Everton secured their place in the fourth round with a 1-0 win over Crystal Palace. Andre Gomes with the only goal of the game, which, considering they've been trying very hard to get rid of him for a number of years, um, it's a really good outcome for him. You'd wonder now if he might start to get a bit more time because that midfield looked quite good with Onana and Garner in the holding roles. Onana with some license to get forward. McNeil and Harrison on the flanks and Gomes behind Calvert-Lewin. The back four was their best back four. The only drop-off was they played Joe Virginia instead of Jordan Pickford, and I thought he actually had a really good game. I thought he was actually very, very good and and was vital to their victory. Um, I wonder, might... Now, I know when Decore comes back, he probably comes in, but I wouldn't be against seeing a bit more of that. The only issue with McNeil, Gomes and Harrison, you don't have... You don't have a lot of pace and force other than Harrison, so that's probably why Decore will come back in. But a good win for Everton, and they will host Luton on the 27th. Norwich secured their trip to Anfield with a 3-1 win away to Bristol Rovers. Uh, Luke McCormick put Bristol one up. Gabriel Sara and Adam Day penalty in a late Kenny McLean goal gave Norwich the win. So to Anfield they go. Jurgen Klopp gets to see his best friend, David Wagner, uh, which is nice for everybody. And then... In what looked like it was going to be an exact... Well, it it was. For 90 minutes, it was an exact repeat of their first game. But in reverse. Blackpool versus Nottingham Forest. And I probably haven't made sense of what I've said there. But in the first game, Blackpool went 2-0 up as the away team. And then Forest, the home team, came back and equalized. In this game, Forest, the away team, went 2 up. Andrew Omabamadeli scored, finally getting some game time. Then Danilo put them 2-0 up. But then Aldi Morgan and Kyle Joseph got Blackpool back level. The game went to extra time, and Chris Wood scored the winner to send Nottingham Forest through. And they will travel to Bristol City, who obviously knocked off West Ham. And I think Bristol will fancy their chances at home. I think they'll fancy their chances. So the fourth round is now set and it kicks off on Thursday, the 25th of June. June, January. Jesus. (laughs) AFCON 
We've had four games since we last spoke about it. We had probably the biggest upset we're going to get in the competition as Namibia beat Tunisia 1-0. Kavenji with the only goal of the game. Uh, highly fancy Tunisia team going into that game, though it's not a... It's not a very like it's not a, a team full of household names, but it's a team full of good players. And Namibia, to those who don't follow African football, like myself, I, I'm including myself in those that don't follow it uh, very closely. This was a team of unknowns. Didn't know any of the Namibia players, but was very impressed by what I saw. How disciplined they were, how they stuck to their instructions, how they played as a team, and they get the win. Mali beats South Africa 2-0. Hamari Traore and Lassine Sinioko with the goals. Um, that was a decent game as well. And then Morocco beat Tanzania 3-0. Romain Saiz, Asadine Onahi, who such an impressive player at the World Cup. Good to see him still playing well for his national team. And Yusuf N. Naziri with the goals. Um, Morishi was sent off for... Tanzania when the game was 1-0. So that obviously did have uh, an impact on the final outcome. And then Democratic Republic of Congo won, Zambia won. Kangwa put Zambia one up. Johan Wiesa of Brentford scoring the equaliser. Today, we get Equatorial Guinea versus Guinea-Bissau. That game kicks off in about two hours. Uh, Ivory Coast versus Nigeria. That's one I'm really looking forward to. That's at 5 p.m. And then Egypt versus Ghana, another one that is hotly anticipated. Um, that's at 8 p.m. I'm going to miss that one because I'm recording with Trev Downey for the couple of hours, but might have it on in the background. Might have it on in the background. So that's today. Good games to be played all round. Uh, in the Asian Cup, Saudi Arabia versus Oman was the only game outstanding in the first round of games when I recorded on Tuesday. Uh, Saudi won 2-1. They went 1-0 down, managed to come back uh, and get the win with late goals from Garib and Al-Bulaya after Al-Yayi. Yayi, I think that's right, had put Oman 1-0 up. The second round of games has already started in the Asian Cup because they are a day ahead. Uh, Lebanon and China played out a nil-nil draw. Qatar beat Tajikistan 1-0. Those games were yesterday. Today, uh, Australia are playing Syria as we speak. It is currently just coming up on half time, and that game is nil-nil. India play Uzbekistan in a 2.30 UK time kickoff, and Palestine take on the United Arab Emirates at 5.30. So that is where we stand with the AFCON and the Asian Cup. And um, you all heard me say that I think, I, I thought one of the players to keep an eye on in this tournament was Lamine Kamara. And given I have very little else to do, I have uh, watched a bunch of his Mets performances over the last couple of days because Y Scout's a brilliant thing and a game of football takes less than an hour to watch so when I can't sleep 
I go on my scout and I watch games. And I watched six games that Lamine Kamara played so far this season. And I was massively impressed. He's even better than I thought he was going to be. I'd seen probably three, four games before. I'm now convinced that this kid is going to be one of the best midfielders in world football within three years. He can do everything. He's your all-round central midfielder who's young enough. He's just turned 20 on the 1st of January. He's young enough to be developed into whatever you want him to be. If you wanted to make him a defensive midfielder, a proper number six, he absolutely could play that role. Now, his height and his lack of aerial ability would count against him a very small amount. But positionally, he's so clever. He's always a step ahead, reads the game brilliantly. He's got great mobility, a great burst over the first five yards. He can sustain that burst as well. His passing is exceptional. His decision-making is very, very good. He times his tackles very well. He's strong as an ox, despite only being 5'8". He knows how to use his frame, and he's able to push people off the ball. And if you saw the goals he scored for Senegal the other day, he can strike a ball really well, can take set pieces at a very high level, I think a smart club will pay a decent sum for him. It won't be a huge sum because he's coming from Mets. So it's not like he's coming from a top club. But I think a smart club will snap him up potentially this month, but more likely in the summer. And I think he's going to be a top, top player. And I think the other clubs that don't get him will be wondering where on earth have they found this kid. I think he's a special talent. And if I'm Senegalese, I am so excited about the future of my national team's midfield with him and Papi Matar Sar. Genuinely, I think those two together could be one of the best international midfields on the planet within the next two years. If you've been watching Spurs this season, as I'm sure you have been, Papi Matarsar has been outstanding for that. And the partnership with him and Basuma works really, really well. And Kamara has some similarities in his game to Basuma, but I think has a much higher ceiling. If I was Spurs, I would probably go and try and buy Lamine Kamara now. I said a few weeks ago, I think one of the big needs for Tottenham is another body in midfield, another quality, dynamic midfielder. Because when Basuma or Matarsar, or right now both aren't there, the other midfielders that are there are very different types, and they can't play the same way. Hoisberg is slow-footed. Bentoncourt is slow-footed. Ollie Skip is dynamic, but he lacks the ability on the ball. If you were rotating... Papi Matarsar, Yves Basuma, and Lamine Kamara, no matter what two you had in the pitch, 
the partnership would work and you'd have high, high quality in that role. If I was Liverpool, he's the one I would go for to fill the number six position. Now, they might prefer someone more ready-made, but I don't think they'll find anyone with a, with a higher ceiling than him. Unless, unless Real do something stupid and decide to let Camavinga become available or Chouameni become available, Liverpool won't find anyone with a higher ceiling. Now, Bubakar Kamara is a better player now, but he's four years older. He doesn't have a higher ceiling than Lamar, uh, Lamine Kamara. There's names like Mats Viefer that are out there. They're very good players. They don't have the talent this kid has. To me, you know, I haven't I haven't obviously watched every game in the first round of the AFCON, but to me, he's the player that stood out the most. And it hasn't even been close. So Senegal's next game is Cameroon. That's tomorrow at 5 p.m. And I urge everybody to watch it. They'll play again against Guinea on Tuesday. And again, I urge everybody to watch it. I think this is a really special talent. He can do everything. Not to hype him too much. Not to put pressure on the kid. Not that he'll hear this, but, you know. Watching him play and watching how good he is at everything. And he is good at everything bar aerials. He's like watching a young Lothar Mateus. That kind of all-round do-everything-at-a-high-level game. And Lothar Mateus, at 20, was an attacking midfielder. But he was naturally a central midfielder who could do everything, which is why he could play as a 10, which is why he could play as a defensive midfielder and be world-class in both roles. It's why later in his career he was able to move back to sweeper and be world-class in that role. If you get a midfielder that, that can do everything, like Roy Keane, young Roy Keane could do pretty much everything. It's why Roy Keane was world-class as a box-to-box midfielder, world-class as a defensive midfielder, and had he wanted to play centre-back, and he did play centre-back at times United, he was always good there. If he'd been played as a sweeper, he would have been incredible in that role. If Roy Keane was German, Roy Keane would have been a sweeper and he would have been phenomenal. If Lamine Kamara was German and 30 years older, he would have been a sweeper. Without question, that's what he would have been. They would have moved him into that position and he would have been sensational. I think you put six months into him as a number six, I think you'd very quickly have one of the best defensive midfielders in the world. And everybody knows what, what how important I believe that position to be and the emphasis I put on it. I think he is that level of talent. And like I said, if, if I was Senegalese, I'd be really excited. You've got him, you've got Sar, um, Bamba Dieng is a very talented young player. Nicholas Jackson very talented young player. Abdallah Sima, currently on loan at Rangers from uh, Brighton. Very, very talented young player. Ilhamen Njai, very talented young player. 
you've obviously got Ishmael Asar, who's still only 25. Very, very talented. So I, I've seen people say, oh, you know, it's Senegal, Idris Aganagay is 34, Czech Koyate is 34, Sadio Mane is 31, uh, Koulibaly is 32. Like, they're going to have problems in time trying to replace these players. I'm not sure they really are. I think they're going to have a really strong national team for the next 10 years. Aruna Sangante, the centre-back at La Harve, didn't make the squad for this tournament, but he is a big, big talent. Musa Enjai, the defender at Anderlecht, 21, big, big talent. They have a really strong pipeline coming through. And I think they're going to be just fine. I really do. I think they're going to be just fine. Papa Amadou Diallo, get his name right, Papa Amadou Diallo, also at Mets, also from that Generation Foot Academy, another one to keep an eye on. He looks really promising as well. And Amara Diouf, who's 15, and is that generation foot now? They're talking about him potentially being the most talented of the lot. 15, he's already been capped by the national team. So do keep an eye on him. That's a name that's going to pop up soon. I believe he's going to go to Mets. I believe that deal is already done. So just keep an eye on him. Very, very exciting time for Senegalese football fans. They're probably one of the favourites, if not the outright favourite, to win this competition. And I think they're going to sustain this. I really do. I think they're going to sustain this for the next six, seven, eight years. Because the more Africa opens up, the more resources that get invested in African football, the more academies like generation foot and right to dream that pop up and start to create a pipeline to bring these young African players to Europe at 15, 16, 17, 18, the better it's going to be for the development, the better it's going to be for the future of the African national teams. Now it will hamper the domestic game, but I think the bigger picture is it'll be better for the players and we've seen with a lot of African players like Sadio Mane and Kaladu Koulibaly who've gone on to accomplish greatness and earn major money that so much of their money they send home, so much of their money they put back into the communities that help shape them, building schools, building hospitals, building houses, investing in infrastructure, investing in the future, building petrol stations, building wells, like, it's it's an incredible thing that in the year 2024, there's still so many people in Africa that don't have running water to the homes. And they have to traipse to get well, to, to wells, communal wells, to get their water every single day. But with the likes of Mane, Koulibaly, and the next generation, 
that money goes back into their own homeland. And overall, I think the development of African football, because of the mindset and the personalities of those players, can only be good for their homelands. So, yeah. Anyway, going to take a break. Come back. Questions time. See you after this. Right. Welcome back. So, first question. Tiberius Sportsball. Who is the best player to wear each number 1 to 11? What are some other iconic shirt numbers worn outside of 1 to 13, such as Trent with 66, De Bruyne with 17? Um, So, let's start there. I mean, Buffon wearing 77, I feel like pretty iconic. Um, He also wore 88 back in the day. So you could take him. Uh, Alessandro Nesta with 13. I think that's one that, that's definitely um, fairly iconic from the 90s and 2000s. Choosing to forgo the usual centre-back options of four, five, or six. Um, number one... I mean, Buffon wore one, but he's more known for the the other numbers. Is Lev Yashin probably then? Manuel Neuer or Lev Yashin? And none of us saw enough of Yashin to be able to make any judgment. You're going basically on, you know, tails. So we'll go Manuel Neuer, number one. Number two... I think the best right back of all time is Javier Zanetti, but he wore number four. Um, Lillian Turam would be second on my list, but he wore 15. I would say Turam 15, also fairly iconic. So for number two, Cafu, I think he's slightly overrated historically because he keeps himself relevant and he compares himself to all great right-backs. But we can't pick the other Brazilian right-back that followed him for obvious reasons. Um, so we're going to go Cafu number th- number two. Three is a no-brainer. It's Paolo Maldini. <clears throat> he's the greatest left-back ever. I think he's the greatest defender ever. I think you can make a strong case that he's the greatest player ever, though, you know, he's certainly, for me, in the top ten. I'd argue he's in my top five. But, you know, that's just me. Number four was always Zanetti. Always for me. But Van Dijk wears four. And I have a hard time, even as the biggest Javier Zanetti fan, who's not, and there's probably Inter Milan fans that are bigger, but I think it's Virgil. I think it's Virgil. Zanetti was incredible. I think he's the best right back the game has ever seen. But we'll go with Virgil. Uh, number five. Again, I'm, I'm going to have to turn my back on one of my favorite players of all time. Because for me, number five was always Fernando Redondo. The Argentinian number five is iconic. So he's one great option there. 
I think the second best defensive midfielder of all time and the best we've seen in the last 20 years, Sergio Busquets, also number five. And I would rather pick one of them, but we the question is who's the best? We're not building a team here. We're just answering who's the best to wear the number. The answer is Zinedine Zidane. He's the best player to wear number five. Number six is Franco Baresi. I think without question. Seven is interesting. So obviously Beckham is probably the most iconic. Well, no, let's be fair. Cristiano Ronaldo is the most iconic one. But the question is who's the best player to wear it? Not who's the most iconic. I still, I have Luis Figo historically ahead of Cristiano. Because Cristiano's one of the two or three best goal scorers ever. I just don't have him ranked that highly in terms of all-round players. As great as he has been. George Best wore seven. I would have him historically over Cristiano. Though he didn't have the career. We're talking about best player, not best career. If it's best career, it's Cristiano. Best player, I think Figo was just a better player. I think Best was a better player. I think Kenny Dalglish was a better player. But Cristiano's had the best career. The only... The only one to go with over him, I think, is Garincha. So I'm going to go with him. I'm going to go with Garincha as my number seven. Number eight, Stephen Gerrard wore it. Frank Lampard wore it. But Lampard's not anywhere close to the best player to wear it. So we've got a choice of two. Do we go Steven Gerrard or Andreas Iniesta? Iniesta certainly had the best career. I'm tempted to go with him. Do I let my Liverpool bias overrule? Um, no, no, we'll just go with Iniesta, but it is very, very close. <clears throat> Number nine, or nine, Ronaldo. It's him or it's Van Basten. I'm going to go with Ronaldo. The other option as a number seven would be Suarez, but he didn't wear it for his entire career, but we're going to go Grinch there. Nine, we're going Ronaldo. Ten. Ten is impossible. Let's come back to ten. Um, let's come back to ten. Because it's, it's the one really where there's two players. There's no wrong choice. Number 11, though, is tough. Because there isn't, there's not a whole lot of standout players to have worn 11. Historically, I'm talking, but not not modern. 
De Maria has worn it. Bale has worn it. Tempted to go Salah. I really am tempted to go Salah. Gento is probably... Gento's probably the historical one you'd represented like. Represented a number. Um, Rivaldo, of course, wore it as well. I'm going to go with Salah. I am. I'm going to go with Mo Salah. I, I, I think he's the best number 11 the game has seen. It's not to say I'd have him in my all-time 11 or anything close to it, but He's certainly the he's the best player of the modern era to wear it by a considerable margin. And historically, I mean Rivaldo wore 10 as well, so it's not like it was he was just a number 11. Salah is number 11. That's what Salah wears. Um yeah, go with him. Other rightly, Henri 14 I think is worth mention. Back to number 10, actually, and as I, as I said, there was two. I, there is three. There are three options for number 10. Now, we'll give some honourable mentions here. Ronaldinho, Francesco Totti, Dennis Bergkamp, all great players. Michel Platini, great player. But it comes down to three. Pele, Maradona, and Lionel Messi. And I think for most people, they're probably the top three players ever in whatever order you want to put them in. Messi has had the best career. Pele is probably the most iconic, but I think Diego was the best. So I'm going to go with Diego. I'm going to go with Diego. Now, how are we going to sneak Messi in here? He wore 30 with PSG so we're going to say he's the best player to ever wear number 30 he made his debut for Barcelona wearing 19 so we're also going to say he's the best number 19 of all time um, he wore number 8 for Barcelona B he also wore numbers 9 and 11 if he'd stuck with 11 he'd be the clear and obvious pick for, for as number 11. At the international level, he wore 18, 15, and 19. So he's the best to wear any of them as well. I just think Diego Maradona is the best player of all time. Messi's the greatest. Messi's had the best career. But Maradona... Uh, 
Isaac Gilding, I'm writing this on Wednesday, having just listened to you say you'll cover Jose Mourinho's, Mourinho's, Jose Mourinho's departure on today's pod. But if you don't cover this specifically, a question for you on Thursday would be, how do you think he'll be remembered by the Roma fan base? I think he'll be adored. I do. I think he'll be adored. I think he connected with the Roma fan base better than any manager that they've had in my lifetime and better than anybody other than Francesco Totti and Daniela De Rossi, which is why I think they've brought De Rossi in as manager. I think that's more to appease the fan base who'll be excited about De Rossi and it will maybe negate their anger towards Mourinho being fired because they did love him. Roma is not a club that historically has had enormous success. So for Mourinho to go there to win a European trophy, to get them to another final, is something that they will remember forever. Let's not forget, this is a club that in its history has only won three league titles, one of which was in 1942. They won it again in 83, and then they won it under Capello in 01, that team with with Totti and Batistuta, Emerson, Walter Samuel, etc. So they haven't had great league success. They've won nine Coppa Italias, 64, 69, 80, 81, 84, 86, 91, 07, and 08. In many ways, Roma are the Tottenham of Italian football. And then you look at their European history. Now, they won the Intercity Fairs Cup in 1961, which nobody remembers. In modern history, they lost the European Cup final in 1984 on their home ground to Liverpool. In 1991, they lost the UEFA Cup final to Inter Milan. That was it. That was their European history. Under Mourinho, they win the Europa Conference League in 2022, and then they get to the Europa League final in 23. And, like, let's be fair, they were robbed. They were robbed. So One of the most appalling officiating performances you'll ever see. And I do think had he won that, he's probably still there. Because if he delivered two European trophies, I don't think they could have gotten rid of him. But the Conference League doesn't hold the gravitas of the other ones. It will in time have a lot more history behind it and it'll have a lot more credibility. For now, it doesn't. It just doesn't. So, and and like, look, the next guy to win it was David Moyes. And I would be surprised if he's there at West Ham next season. Now, he's having a really good year, and maybe he is going to earn an extension, but it's pretty clear that the powers that be at West Ham do not want David Moyes at the club next season. They want to move on. They want to go in a different direction. Otherwise, surely they'd have given him a new contract after he won the Conference League. Let's not forget, last season, week after week after week, there were reports that 
David Moyes is one defeat away from losing his job at West Ham. This is while they're going for that tournament. I don't think winning that tournament changes anything. I think they would like to be rid of him. I think if they keep him, it's probably, probably because of fan pressure. Now, this season, I think Moyes has done a good job. However, they're out of the FA Cup to a lower league team. I don't think they'll get European football for next year. They're obviously out of the League Cup as well. <clears throat> they're only shot, I think, at European football and at Silverware is to win the Europa League. And I don't think they're going to win the Europa League. If we look at who's left in the Europa League, I just don't think Moyes has the tools at his disposal to win that competition. I just think there's probably four teams better than four teams better than West Ham. Liverpool, obviously. I think Bayer Leverkusen are a better team. I think Atalanta are a better team. And I think Brighton are a better team. And that's not counting the teams dropping in out of the Champions League. Like Milan. Milan are a better team than West Ham. Um, I, I wouldn't go that far with Benfica. Galatasaray, potentially. I just, I don't think West Ham are going to win the Europa League. Which, in all likelihood, means no European football next season for West Ham. Now, they are currently in sixth. But United have been about as bad as they possibly can be and are only two points behind. They have played a game more, admittedly, but they're only two points behind. Brighton are three points behind and Brighton have had horrendous luck with injuries in this first. Look at some of the, look at some, go and look at some of the lineups the Zerbi has had to put out this season because of injury. Chelsea are only three points behind and they've been about as bad as they could possibly be. And I think West Ham have probably come fairly close to maximising what they're capable of. I think they'll probably end up eighth, maybe ninth. I don't think they'll win Europa. And I think Moyes will be gone. So maybe winning the Europa Conference League is a curse. Um, but to answer the question, yeah, I, I do think the Roma fans will adore Mourinho. I think anytime he ever wants to go back there and, and visit, I think they'll welcome him with open arms. Uh, leading on for that, from that, do you think we're coming to the end of the managerial highs of Jose, Conte, Poch and others who were successful in the mid-2010s? A bit like how Rafa just hasn't kept up with how football has moved on, perhaps. Um, with Jose, yes. With Poch, I'm not sure about, because Poch is still... What age is he? Can't be more than 47. He's 51. I didn't think Pochettino was that old. He's 51. I thought he was near about 47, 48. Um... Look, at some point, Poch is almost certainly going to get sacked by Chelsea. And that's going to do damage to his reputation because, 
you know, he flamed out of PSG. I know he won some silverware there, but it's like getting a free toy with your Happy Meal. I don't know with Poch. I, I think Poch still has time and runway. I th- he, he'll still get other good jobs, and I think he will. I think he will have some success. The thing is, I wouldn't put Poch in that elite level because he hasn't won anything that I would class as real. You know, Conte is an interesting one. Conte's issue is he doesn't have any patience. Conte wants to win immediately. And his belief is that senior players, older players is the way to do that. Conte also wants to turn the squad over on a regular basis. He wants to run players into the ground for like two years and then get rid of them and get a fresh batch in and run them into the ground and get rid of them. And he wants to get in and he wants to drain every last little bit that those players have left. And that's fine in certain countries where high play player turnover is the norm. It's not the norm in England. I think Conte can still have great success with the right club. I really do. Like, I think if he took the Milan job, he wins the league with Milan within... Like, if he got it now, I think he wins the league next season. I genuinely do. If you look at the AC Milan squad, so we know what Conte is going to do. He's going to play a back three. He's going to play either a midfield four or a midfield five, and then either two or three up front. Let's look at their squad. In goal... They've got one of the best goalkeepers in the world in Mike Magnon. Absolutely outstanding goalkeeper. In defense, he's got Kalulu, he's got Tamori, and he's got Malik Kyo. That as a back three, I think works really well. Now, there's no left footer in there, which might be a slight issue. But Conte won the Premier League with Gary Cahill playing as the left side centre-back, whose left foot wasn't even for standing on. I think he would turn Yunus Musa into a right wing-back. So he'd have him one side. And he would have Teo Hernandez the other side. I think that's really, really strong. In the middle of the park, I think he'd love Benesser, so he'd have him. I think he'd need one more. One more in the middle of the park. Now, in the short term, uh, Reinders, the, the Dutch player, I think he would be the partner for for Benesser. And the issue with Benesser, obviously, is he is injury prone. But still, I think he'd be fine in the short term. And then in attack, I think he goes Pulisic and Leao either side of a nine. Now he has options here where he can drop maybe Ruben Loftus-Cheek in and use him as a third midfielder behind Leao and a nine. He can play Samuel Chukwesi opposite Leao. I think if you gave 
him that squad one in midfield one up front and decent cover for Benesser decent cover for him is the is the key to it but I think they have everything else like you look at they've got really good forward options now, they've got Giroud for now, and I think he'd love to have Giroud as a squad player. Like I said, you've got Leao, you've got Pulisic, you've got Luka Jovic, you've got Noah Okafor, you've got Luka Romero, Samuel Chukwesi. That's a really, really strong group of attackers. Young Chakatore, the young winger, a Traore, rather, he's there as well. So you've got really, really good forward options. You just need that nine. You need a younger version of Olivier Giroud. In midfield, they've got bodies. Like, you've seen Adley can play in midfield or attack. Ruben Loftus-Cheek can play in that midfield role in in a double pivot. Got Benesser, you've got Reinders. I think you need one, one definitely in there. Eunice Musa can obviously play in there as well. <laughs> but I think you need one in there. I think at centre back, he's good. I, I do like I said, I do think he'd use Eunice Musa as a as a wing back. If not, put him in the middle of the park and you you buy a wing back. Now again, I don't think Musa would be a starting midfielder for him. I don't think he'd go Musa Benesser as a pair, but he'd be another really good rotation option and at centre back I think he's good I really do with the three I laid out as starters you've still got Simon Kiar there you've still got uh, Mattia Caldara there you've got young Pellegrino there who's very very good I think he'd be okay You've got Florenzi there, who's a player I know he likes. You've got Matteo Gabbia there, another centre-back option. I think two players, one in midfield and one up top, and I think he wins the league. And I, I think he wins it comfortably. Just looking at the players they have out on loan. Foto Balotore. I mean, for squad depth, he'd be okay to keep. I think, I actually think De Ketelier would have been a really good option there in that kind of role, but he's on loan with an obligation to, or an option to buy. So maybe he comes back. Maybe they don't pick that up. Um, I think he could use Salamakers as a wing back. I think Salamakers actually might, might suit him quite well as a wing back. Uh, there is an option to buy on his loan to Bologna so he's not great you've also got Calabria who is the club captain I'm just not a huge fan but maybe he's the right wing back but still I think two players and Conte wins that that league I think he wins it a couple of years in a row so I think Conte still has tread on the tires Jose I think international football is the way for him I think Rafa should have gone to international football um, Poch, I don't know, is the honest answer. I don't know what, what's going to happen with him. 
AMK2889, if Mourinho does go the international route, what countries do you think would be a good fit for him? Well, the obvious one, obviously, is his homeland of Portugal. Um, I think he could do a great job with England. I really do. Would he be a good fit for the US job? Um, yeah, he probably would be. He probably would be because Jose just knows how to win. So yeah, I, I think I think he would be a good fit. Now I wouldn't have him. I've talked before about how I give Pep the keys to the kingdom and just tell him build us from the ground up. I wouldn't do that with Jose, but in in the national team, yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, Mikhail Campbell. Dave, what do you think Dortmund needs to do over the next couple of windows to improve their team to compete with Bayern and Leverkusen for the major trophies? So let's have a look at where Dortmund... Dortmund obviously just brought in Sancho and just brought in Ian Matson. Now, Edin Terzic is the manager. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of him as a manager. So one of the things I'd be looking to do is, is change the manager. Um, they've got a very good goalkeeper in Gregor Kobel. Uh, Nico Schlotterbeck would be the starting building block for the defence. But I'd be looking to play three at the back. I wouldn't be having Nicolas Sula in the team. I definitely would not be having... Um, the ghost of Mats Hummels in the team. So I think I, I think I want two centre backs. I think I'd go Armel Belakotchup. I know he hasn't had the best of times at PSV. I think he could get him quite cheap in the summer. I'd look to bring him in, and um, I think he's perfect in a back three. Play him right side. Play Schlotterbeck left side. I think you're in really good shape with those two. Um, Ian Matson, I, I would want to keep permanently to give me my left wing back. Right wing back. I mean, Maury's quite good. I'd probably look to see if I could improve on him. I wonder, I wonder, could you convert Jamie Benoit Gittens into a wing back? Because I do quite like him. I'd probably try and convert him into a wing back. Him right wing back with, with the, in the Frimpong kind of wing back where he's basically just a winger. Um, Yeah, yeah, him right wing back, Matson left wing back. Need one more centre back um, to go in the middle of the back three. And it's not a great, a great era for German centre back. If I could somehow get Malik Thio out of Milan, I, I would bring him to Dortmund, play him in the middle with Belakotch at one side and Schlotterbeck the other. Um, 
Otherwise, I'm looking for a, a middle centre-back. Uh, moving from there, in midfield, I've got Emery Chan, I've got Sally Oskan, I've got Felix Nemecha. I'd buy Lamine Kamara, who I was talking about earlier, because I, I think he'd be a very cost-effective move. They've got young Abdullah Kamara, the Ghanaian midfielder. He's very, very talented. So I think if I think I get my one midfielder in, I think I'm good. And then in attack, I've got Sancho. I've got Gio Reyna. I've got Sebastian Halar. I've still got Marco Royce. I've got um, Julian Duranville. I've got Makoko. I've got... Adiemi, I, I don't think I want anything else in attack. I think I'm good in attack. I've also got Sabitzer in midfield, I've forgotten. I've got Daniel Mallon. So <clears throat> get me Lamine Kamara, Armel Belakotchup, and one more centre back. And I think I'm good. I think that's a group that goes and wins the Bundesliga or, or at least pushes. Bayern really, really close. There's so much talent in that. Uh, you've also got Nicholas Fulcrug there as the other number nine. So you've got him or Haller. So you've, you've got two really good options. Um, and you keep you keep your Mats Hummels and your Sulas for depth, but I, I would never really want to play them. So I'd be looking at rebuilding the defensive group, the central defensive group. I'd be looking at trying to find ways to keep Sancho and Matson as long as I can. Uh, Matson, I think, is an easy one to keep. Sancho, you never know. You might have to sell somebody of note, which Daniel Malin would be the obvious one. I'd be happy to move on from him. I'd be happy to sell him and sell Sula. Um, sell Ben Sibiani. I don't think you'd get much money from Mats Hummels. I'd sell Julian Brand personally. And I think there's there's definitely uh, plenty of talent there. Oh, they do have young Koulibaly already there. Young French centre-back. So maybe you keep him as depth. But yeah, I'm buying two centre-backs... I'm buying Lamine Kamara, and I think I'm good. I genuinely think I'm good to go. Um, last question then. If Barcelona sack Xavi, who do you think should replace him? And given their financial situations, what players should you sell and sign to improve the team if hypothetically you were appointed sporting director? So the manager I would appoint is Ruben Amram, and I would look to let him build the team that he wants to play. Now, I think they have... Kunde and Arejo, that's the start of your centre-back pairing. You've got Ch uh, Chaddy Riyad, who's out on loan at Real Betis. He comes back in. He's left-footed. That's perfect. That's your back three. 
Um, you've got Alejandro Balde as the left wing back. You you then I think want to keep Joe Canseo as your right wing back. Gavi and Pedri are two thirds of your midfield three. You need a defensive midfielder, and then up front. I mean, you've got Lamine Yamal as a superstar in the making. You've got um, Ansu Fati, who I'd look to bring back off his loan. I think I'd want a new young striker because you can't really build around Lewandowski given his age. I'd, I'd rather buy someone younger than Zhao Canseo. So maybe you go Frimpong. For the age profile, maybe you go Frimpong. And like I said, you need a defensive midfielder. So the striker is tough. Finding a young striker that's going to be cheap is not going to be hard, not going to be easy. Um, but again, we're going Lamine Kamara to bring in as the defensive midfielder. But I am going to sell Frankie De Jong because he can bring in a big fee. I'm also going to sell... Rafinha, because he can bring in a good fee. You keep Ferran Torres, you keep uh, Inigo Martinez, you keep Christensen. I definitely let Marcus Alonso go. You keep Romeo as depth. You've got young Vitor Roque, who's a star maybe in the make, and maybe he's the answer at nine. Maybe you go with Lewandowski and you have him as the as the depth piece. So maybe you go Lewandowski with Ansu Fati, because you don't want to put Lamine Yamal straight in every single game and, and risk injuring him. You've got Fermin Lopez to come into the squad or on a more regular basis. You've got Pablo Torre to bring back off loans. I think you're good there. I'd sell Serginho Dest. I'd sell Eric... No, I'd keep Eric Garcia for back three. Sell Clement Longley. Sell Frankie. Keep Sergio Roberto just because he's part of the fabric there. So, Frimpong, Kamara, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Because you go Gavi and Kamara as a two with Pedri and Ansu behind Lewandowski, you get your passer and your dribbler, which is what Amram, Amram likes. Pa- uh, Pablo Torre and Laminia Mall are the backups to them. Vito Roque is the backup striker. Sergi Roberto can be your backup right wing back, or he can be a backup in midfield. Julian Arejo, I bring back into the squad as the backup right back, actually. Um, Fermin Lopez. Definitely one as a backup midfielder. Mark Casado, maybe he's the other. Um, you've got Pau Gabarsi, would certainly be someone that you're going to try and fast track. Um, he is only 16, but he'll see 17 next next week, and he's a huge talent. So if you've got him, you've got uh, Eric Garcia, and you've got Inigo Martinez, plus Andreas Christensen, who'd be like, He'd be the fourth starter, the one that comes in ahead of the others. That's seven centre-backs. One of them is a child, obviously, um, so you're not putting too much on him. But I think I'm good then in defence. 
I'm pretty good at left wing back. I probably want to back up left wing back. I can probably find that in the academy. I think I'm good in midfield if I bring in Kamara. And then I I just keep an eye on what striker maybe comes up. Vito Rock is the one that gets first go at it as the, the backup slash successor to Lewandowski. But other than that, um other than that, I think I think they're actually in a pretty good position player wise. I think what they need is time and patience. That's where I think they're at. That's all the questions. So I'll be back after this break with the gossip. Right, welcome back. We're just going to run through the gossip, and that's us for today. Arsenal, Liverpool are interested in Ray and Eight Nuri. I'd love Ray and Eight Nuri at Liverpool. Liverpool want to keep Thiago Alcantara, but he's attracting interest from Al Etifak and Flamengo. I think if he was to go to either, it would be Flamengo. Newcastle will review their January transfer plans at a special meeting this week following the, the injury to Jolington. Chelsea do not hold an interest in Victor Jacquez despite reports of a 73 million offer being made. Brentford have a verbal agreement with Sergio Reglan. That deal is done. Um, Middlesbrough have inquired about Ahmed Diallo, but United want to keep him. Nottingham Forest will prioritise selling players over buying players this month in an effort to show the Premier League they are taking the charge of allegedly breaching profit and sustainability rules seriously. A couple of good players to get from there, but I think they'll want to keep the good ones. Um, Liverpool retain an interest in Levi Colwell wouldn't be surprised if he's on the move in the summer given Chelsea's financial situation Paris Saint-Germain have offered Kylian Mbappe a new contract worth 100 million euros per season that's mental really is mental uh, Man United want Josh Joshua Xerxes in the summer yeah I could see it as, as a second striker option I could see it he's having a good season but He's not, I don't think he's of that level. Wolves are considering a move for Armando Brogia, whose Chelsea future likely hinges on whether they sign a striker this month. Matt Lowe is reporting that they want 50 million for Brogia, which is just r- ridiculous. That's easily double what he's worth. Arsenal are in talks with Besiktas over a deal for Cedric Soares. I'd imagine that's a free transfer. Uh, Jose Mourinho could return to management with Porto after being sacked by Roma. Yeah, I could see that. That that might be the answer for him. Burkino Faso, Ford, Bertrand Traore and English defender Callum Chambers are both attracting interest from European clubs after being told they could leave in January. Makes sense. Chambers I don't see going abroad, but Bertrand Traore will have, will have offers. Atletico Madrid and Barcelona are among the six clubs interested in signing Calvin Phillips. I don't believe Barcelona are interested in signing Calvin Phillips. Personally, but you never know. Newcastle are scouring Europe for possible midfield reinforcements. Um, Apparently, Phillips is their top target, but City are asking for too much. I I don't know. The Magpies have sent their head of scouting to watch Atalanta midfielder Ederson, but the Italian club have no interest in selling the 24-year-old Brazilian in January. He's, He's very good. Tottenham have not given up hope on signing Conor Gallagher. I don't know why they want him. It doesn't fit how they play. Chelsea are willing to let Armando Brogia leave if a substantial offer is received. West Ham, Fulham and Wolves all interested. Uh, Chelsea will ask 50 million, who scored two goals in 17 appearances this year, Brogia. That's great. 
Giancarlo Ramos's future at Paris Saint-Germain is in doubt and the French club could sell him in January if a, if a suitable offer is made. I think he is on loan with an obligation to buy. I don't think that's a permanent deal. Yeah. It's, a, it's an obligation to buy, but he's not owned by PSG, so they can't sell him. Napoli would be interested in Denmark midfielder Pierre-Emile Heusberg. Uh, Napoli have signed Hamid Traore from Bournemouth with an option to buy. I'm disappointed in Bournemouth that they haven't given him any, any opportunity. Arsenal are leading the race to sign Xavi Simmons. No, they're not. That's nonsense. The Gunners have reportedly been handed a boost in their January pursuit of Bruno Gomeric. They have no chance of signing Bruno Gomeric. Uh, Aston Villa have inquired about the potential signing of Giovanni Reina. Could make sense. A bit more wing depth, but I think he'd want to start somewhere. Marseille are planning to return to West Ham for Saeed Benrahma after their first bid was turned down. I think West Ham want to keep him. Ahmed Diallo is set to turn down any championship loans. Bayern Munich are looking at... John Clark Tadebo and Ke or Kevin Danzo. Tadebo's a better player, but Danzo's good. Um, Inter Milan are close to securing a deal for Medi Tarami on a free transfer in the summer. Jaffa Tanganga is set to end his loan spell at Augsburg. That's happened and he's now gone to Millwall. So there we go. That's everything, folks. I'll see you all tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.